Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Raina Duras. Raina is an award-winning radio personality and the host of National Public Radio, or NPR's World Cafe, a radio program and podcast devoted to musical discovery and thoughtful conversation. Formerly with 102.1 The Edge, CBC Radio, and part of the launch team at Indie 88, for two straight years in 2014 and 2015, Raina was voted the best radio personality in Toronto by the readers of the about-to-be digitally reborn Now magazine. Raina has also been involved with Canada's highest music honours, including the Polaris Music Prize and the Juno Awards. Welcome, Raina, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Andrew, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to talk to you. Um, I'm in Philadelphia right now, and I'm, I'm doing really well. Philadelphia is strangely warm, which gives you a feeling of impending doom, but also you don't have to wear a parka, so, you know. It's nothing you're not used to, and I want to ask you how you're enjoying Philadelphia. I want to give a shout out to my cousins, Gabrielle, Rafi, Thea, and Anya. They've been there for years. They love it. And how are you enjoying your time there? How long have you been there? Well, I've been here technically since October 2019, kind of on and off because of the pandemic. I, I moved back to Toronto for sort of uh, all of 2020 in the middle of that, which was uh, a weird experience. Um, but I mean, I've been, I I consider like that I moved here, I guess it would be like March 2021. I was really back in Philly and I've been here nonstop ever since. So I'm loving it. I really, really like this city a lot. It's a great city. Of course, the history is incredible. And uh, I, I, being a Northeast kind of city, not that different from Toronto, would you say? And No, I, I would say like uh, when I first moved here, I was kind of like, this is if you're I lived in Toronto my whole life um, until I moved to Philly. And I was like, if you're going to move to the States, I feel like Philly is like if you're from Toronto, it's like America with training wheels. Like it feels <laughs> like you're like, OK, this feels familiar enough. It's small enough that I can walk around. Yeah. Um, the people are really friendly. You get seasons most of the time. Um, it does feel it feels pretty similar. And it has a similar vibe to Toronto in that it's close to New York and wants to be. Well, no, wait, it doesn't want to be like New York. I should not yeah. say that. That'll get me in trouble. But there's yes. like that sort of New York looming feeling, where, which is very similar to Toronto. Yep. And our sports fans are equally, if not more, nuts than Toronto's. I, I wanted to ask <laughs> if you're a sports fan, if you've had a chance to enjoy it. Of course, Philadelphia famous for booing Santa Claus at an Eagles game. Have you had a chance to go out and see the teams? I've gone to two Eagles games uh, since moving here. Uh, yeah. Big Eagles fan. Go Birds. Uh, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, <laughs> I hope I didn't jinx anything. Um yeah, so I mean, I got into the Eagles right away when I moved here because I moved before my partner could move down because he didn't have a visa yet. And I realized that one of the only ways that I was going to make any friends or talk to anyone outside of work was to go watch Eagles games on Sundays at the bar down the street. So I would just go every Sunday afternoon and watch the Eagles games in an Eagles shirt. And that's how I started talking to people. Um, and it's easy to become an NFL fan here because obviously Toronto doesn't have an NFL team. And I mm -hmm. still feel like... I can't not cheer for the Leafs. I can't not cheer for the Raptors. And I can't not cheer for the Blue Jays. So I have to, like, pick a team that's outside of that whole realm. Hey, you can be a fan of all kinds of different teams. And uh, you can't, as you noted, you can't find a more passionate fan base next to uh, Toronto's than in Philadelphia. 
I still keep my uh, Raptors championship hat on my <laughs> desk at work just to bother my boss because he's a huge 76ers fan. And obviously the Kawhi Leonard shot feels very different down here yeah. than it does in Toronto. <laughs> they don't look back on it with such uh, no. <laughs> enjoyment as you do. Raina, let's jump right in. I'm hoping you can educate me. What is NPR? What is WXPN? And what is World Cafe? Okay, so this took me a while to like really <laughs> understand. So NPR is National Public Radio. People think of it as kind of like the CBC, the BBC of America, but it's actually quite different in that it is not like the CBC is a a broadcaster that makes all the stuff there. It uh, distributes it itself from like a sort of central location. Um, NPR, and I'm putting this very simply, obviously, but NPR um, does create its own content, but it also acts as a distributor. So uh, in different cities, you'll have NPR affiliate stations, not just the CBC, you know, not just the NPR. And those stations will license different programs from NPR. So World Cafe is a show that is produced at WXPN, a station in Philadelphia, and it is syndicated and uh, distributed by NPR to stations all across the country. And WXPN is a uh, station that is owned by the University of Pennsylvania. So I like to say technically I work for uh, an Ivy League university. <laughs> That's which great. something I never thought I'd be saying. Um, and, and so it's a listener, mostly listener supported, but also, you know, gets money from the school. We uh, World Cafe is partly funded by those NPR distribution deals at NPR. So it's a really mixed funding model that's very different from how the CBC functions. Um, and so it it is confusing. And I'm also like a little nervous when I describe this to other people because I'm like, even I'm not sure if I'm getting every detail completely correct. But that's like the broad strokes of how it works. Raina, you did excellent. You, you, I think that was a great overview. And I, is is the station WXPN actually on the campus of University of Pennsylvania? It is. We're just okay. inside the borders of the campus. Oh, fabulous! So that yeah. that keeps you youthful. You're hanging around with all the students. There must be a oh, good yeah. vibe there. If I wear a backpack uh, to work, <laughs> it looks like I'm just going to class. Fabulous. <laughs> well, let's go back all the way. Get the Raina Duras story. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. So I was born in, uh, I mean, I guess North York, East York, Victoria and O'Connor. The, that's the intersection Victoria that I Park grew up near. Victoria Park and O'Connor, sure. At the very beginning of Victoria Park and O'Connor. Uh, that's where I uh, spent the first four years of my life. Um, and then I grew up in Stouffville, which is a little suburb outside of the city. Uh, at the time, it was a very small town when I was little. Like on my street and at my nursery school, there were literally sheep uh, so it's grown uh, exponentially since I lived there. I had, a, you know, a fairly musical, artistic upbringing. My mom was a teacher. My dad is a uh, was an insurance uh, claims adjuster, but they both had um, like a lot of music education. My dad was in bands growing up. My mom played piano, um, and then my extended family was also pretty artsy. Um, I always like to tell people, because this is like, this is a weird Canadian claim to fame. My aunt uh, is a visual artist, and she would make mascot heads. Um, she made the elephant from the elephant show. She made Dudley the dragon's head. <laughs> she made the walrus from Marineland. Um, and if you ever go to Montana's and say it's your birthday and you get one of those big horn hat things, she made all of those. So... <laughs> that is excellent trivia that you're correct. I don't know if anyone else will know, but... <laughs> all our listeners know all of those ones, especially the Marineland one. That's good. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I changed schools a lot when I was young and that like, yeah, I, I can give you more details. Well, you're, you're doing <laughs> great. You I want to know what, what, give a shout out. What high school did you graduate from? Markham District High School. All right. Well, Raina, uh, this podcast worldwide headquarters are Richmond Hill. We're actually located off Stouffville Road. No so way. Um, you, you are now not only a Toronto legend, but a, a York region legend. But it's funny what you say. I mean, you've been back, so this won't be that much of a shock to you. But just the development around here and certainly where you grew up and went to school, you'll be shocked at it all. How'd you end up transitioning over to uh, Ryerson, now, as you know, called CMU, Central Metropolitan University? Well, just really quick, since you said you're in Richmond Hill, I want to give a shout out to Baythorne Public School, where I went to grade <laughs> right. seven and eight. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, I uh, ended up going to uh, CMU. I actually didn't know they—I didn't know they'd chosen a new name yet. So, okay, CMU. Yes, they have. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to—it couldn't be more bland. The team name instead of the Rams now is the Bold. Oh, that's like so. It's an adjective. It's it's bland. So it's the CMU bold. It's like the Utah Jazz. Like, this isn't really a thing. It's more of an abstract idea. Um, so uh, yeah. Also, do my does my d- diploma still work if it says Ryerson on it? There, I don't there are know. many issues to be resolved, but above our pay grade. Um, so I uh, when I was in high school, I what I really when I started out all through my um, youth, I wanted to be an actor uh, and. So I kind of had applied to U of T and to Ryerson, to theater and to radio and TV. And somewhere along the line, I realized that, you know, my chances of maybe becoming employed one day might be higher if I went to radio and TV rather than theater. Uh, no, fa- no, like no, uh, you know, shade on people who go to theater. I think it's awesome. But I was like, maybe this is the way I should go. Um, and so once I kind of got into that, I... I really sort of just focused on going to RTA and um, and that was it. And I also really wanted to live in Toronto. I think growing up that close to Toronto, um, it was this like golden city that I could like, sometimes I could go there on a weekend with my friends, but I wanted to be in it. I wanted to live there. And, um, and so I moved uh, and lived in residence right away and I loved it. And I lived there for like literally since I – went to Ryerson to the moment I moved to Philly. I lived in Toronto. And did you transition to radio after you graduated from Ryerson or while you were still at Ryerson? It was while I was still there. Um, so at, at RTA, you have to sort of choose what stream you'd like to go to. So you can, or at the time, it's different now, but radio or studio TV or uh, electronic field production, which is like going out and filming on location, which I very quickly dismissed because I, had to do a bunch of shoots in the cold outside at night. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Um, So I uh, decided that being in a radio studio really felt right. And I loved, I loved doing it. And I had a big, loud voice and I liked music. So that appealed to me right away. Um, And then I ended up getting an internship at The Edge. It started out as part of the intern army, which is the people you see outside of concerts giving you high fives or handing you samples of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I gradually ended up in the office because I became a digital intern um, in the chorus entertainment radio division digital department. So we worked with The Edge and uh, Q107 and AM640. So it was like designing banner ads for the website or filming interviews or 
taking photos at um, at concerts or whatever it was that we needed for the website. That was like our domain. So that's how I kind of got started in that universe. That was like my first real radio station job. Mm-hmm. And was this a was this an internship or a paid job or how did it work? It started as an internship and it became a paid uh, job gradually. It became a part-time paid job. And I also was doing, I kind of transitioned from the intern army into like the uh, just Q107 a, uh, AM640 promo team, which is like a paid position where you drive the car around and you, then you get like you get bigger responsibilities. Like you have to set up the tent. Uh, <laughs> and, and again, like those I promo people deserve so much more uh, respect and money than they get because they're really... They work the weirdest hours. They do the most annoying stuff. Uh, and they sometimes have to drive like a Hummer, which is really, really hard in downtown Toronto. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you develop all kinds of skills. And as yeah. you say, you got to start somewhere. And I think what's interesting, Raina, for you is the two times you got on radio were uh, earned in two unique ways, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, the, if, if you're talking about the very, very first time, when I was still in high school, which was on the CBC, which I still have tape from somewhere. Um, it was in grade 11, and I was in economics class. I was a big loudmouth, uh, not unlike how I am now. Um, and one day, my economics teacher was, uh, I guess he'd been tasked with finding students to go on a CBC morning show segment about the war in Iraq. Uh, not to age myself, but that's when that was happening. And... He was like, hey, Raina, you have a lot of opinions. Do you want to go beyond this thing? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, and so they came to our school library. I don't know what producer was like, let's get a bunch of high school students in Markham to give their opinions about the Iraq war. <laughs> but that was my first taste of being on the radio. And I mean, I loved it. I loved it uh, right away. And I told the host, Andy Barry, that I wanted to be on someday. And he was like, make sure you thank me when you get your first Oscar, which... It was very, very ambitious, and I thanked him for it. That's good. And and the second key time that you got yourself on radio was also earned in a unique way. Yeah. So um, while I was a digital intern at The Edge, I started a thing called Indie Online, which was um, basically I was friends with a lot of bands in the city who I thought were really great, and they had no way to get on the radio. So I was like, let's start this thing where bands can submit their music um, and their information, and then every month we'll pick a band of the month. And so we did that, and every month I would go on air to talk about the band of the month. And I would do that with Bookie, who uh, people might know as he worked at The Edge, he worked at Indie 88. Um, And then I also started doing it with Fred Kennedy, who worked at The Edge at the same time. And I was doing it with both, but no one had told the program director of the station. And one week he was listening and heard me on air two times. And my boss was like, hey, um, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I was like, she's like, you know, the program director's heard you on the air twice this week. And and he was wondering, why is that happening? Because he has never given permission for that and doesn't even really know who you are. (laughs) And, And I was like, oh, no, I'm in so much trouble. And then she was like, but he thinks you sound really good. And he was wondering if you'd like to train up to be an on air person. And I was like, oh, my God. Absolutely. And so uh, that's what we did. And I I got to train and I started doing overnight shifts and and swing shifts, which is when you fill in for people. And and that was sort of the beginning of that. Yeah, it's amazing. The uh, Raina Doris handbook for uh, (laughs) career 
movement, number one. Just be loud. Be, be a loud mouth. <laughs> and two, don't ask. And wouldn't you say, uh, in all seriousness, uh, go for it. Would that be your advice to young people, whether it's in your industry or any industry? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously you, you want to, um, you don't want to piss people off. You want to ask just as much as you need to. But I would say, you know, it's like that old saying, uh, it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. And once people see what you can do, then, uh, then they don't need to be convinced about what you can do because they've already seen it. <laughs> so true. So true. Now, Raina, in 2012, you leave CFNY 102.1, The Edge, for CBC Radio. How did that come about and why? Um, well, I left The Edge because I was let go of The Edge. And that was my own fault. I was like in my early 20s. I was uh, not exactly the most responsible person in the world at the time. Um, and, you know, I also, I kind of knew that because of the way things were at The Edge, like every, all the major shows were held by people who were going to be there for a long time. And, you know, I kind of felt like I didn't think I was going to go anywhere there at that point. But yeah, ultimately, like I was fired. It wasn't like I was like, okay, goodbye. I'm making yeah. a decision. But it was good. It was good that I was because it like made me make choices. And um, the CBC stuff came around because a friend of mine, uh, Graham Wright, who's the keyboardist in the band Tokyo Police Club, he had a show there uh, on the CBC and he had me on as a guest to talk about something one day. And this was like, it had been months since I'd been on the radio. And I was I was kind of thinking like, do I even want to be on the radio anymore? Maybe I can like be a graphic designer with my web digital experience or whatever. And I went back on the radio with Graham and I was like, oh, I really, really do want this again. Mm. And um, they were looking for backup hosts there on CBC Radio 3, which was the internet station that CBC had. And it was okay. also on, on Sirius um, at the time. And... They just asked if I if I was interested in in you know maybe developing some skills with them and doing some backup hosting and and that was sort of my beginning of my journey with the CBC which you know as a kid who grew up on the CBC it was like incredible it was the yeah. coolest thing in the world um, so that was how that was how that started and I did that for a little while sure and that's obviously a bigger stage you're now national. But then another pivot and you reverse and go local. You have a chance to be, if I'm correct, on the team that formed Indy 88. Talk about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, this is another piece of advice for, I guess, people who want to break into any industry is um, be persistent uh, and be annoying, but not too annoying. So when I found out that Indy 88 was looking for their license and they were, this was before they were even a thing. They didn't even have a name yet. I'd heard uh, that there was a new indie station trying to get a license in Toronto. Then so I did a little digging and found out who it was. And I emailed the people in charge. And I was like, listen, I'm interested in being involved in any capacity. If this happens, please let me know. And then I didn't hear from them in a long time. And then every little while I would follow up. They ended up getting their license and I followed up again. And they were like, yep, that's great. We know we have a lot going on. We don't know yet. And then one day I was sitting in my apartment, uh, at Ossington and Dundas and I got a phone call and it was the vice president of Central Ontario Broadcasting and he's like we're just driving around in your neighborhood uh if you want to go get a beer right now we'd love to talk to you <laughs> and I was like uh, okay <laughs> so I got up and I uh we went for a beer and at the time they were actually thinking about having me as their digital director we talked that they were kind of asking like what are cool neighborhoods we could put the station in like stuff like that <laughs> like kind of scoping out the scene and then you know after that 
didn't hear from them for a while again. Uh, and I would follow up every now and then. It takes a long time to get a station from like approved for a license to actually on the air. So they were busy. Um, and then, you know, a few months go by and I got an email from their program director, Adam uh, Thompson, who's, you know, I, I think one of my biggest mentors. He's just an incredible person. He emailed me and said, hey, we'd love you to interview for afternoon host and music director of our station. So I was like, I better make a demo. <laughs> and that was what I did. And that was kind of your, let's call it your Toronto radio heyday, I'm going to say. That was and like, yeah, it was huge. I'm Being around to launch a station for the first time is like a once in a career opportunity, um, especially when you're, you know, 27, especially when you're at the time, I didn't really know very many women, especially young women who were in the position that I was in, in a major market. It was, it was amazing. Like when we press that button to start the actual station, like I cried. It was yeah. so cool. And and to be at a place like that where everyone's figuring it out at the same time together and you're really getting to play artists who at that point, like things have changed a bit now, but at that point, especially in Toronto, hadn't been played on the radio consistently ever. It was incredible. It was so incredible. That was, but talk about I rounding I was, out your, your toolkit, Rain. I mean, you now have exposure to all these different areas, on-air personality, management, program director, position and I mean it sounds like you really had rounded yourself out it was it was amazing I mean I didn't I did uh leave the music director position after a while because it became um the sort of thing where it was like you have to my show was from two to seven so it was pretty substantial and trying to be the music director at the same time just I wasn't able to do both so we ended up I gave that responsibility to somebody else and I just became the afternoon host. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And and uh, I learned a lot about how to schedule a radio station and about how to respond or not respond to PR people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All these skills help you down the road. Raina, in 2016, you returned to the CBC. What was the biggest change for you moving from Indy 88 back to the CBC? That was probably one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make in my professional life um, because I loved and I still love Indy 88 so much. Like it was like a family and it meant so, so much to me, but I knew that the CBC was going to like offer me a whole different set of challenges and a different kind of exposure. And, you know, it would open some things up and I, and I really wanted that bigger platform I still had my relationships with the people there, and Tom Power, uh, who's a good friend of mine, was the host of the morning show on CBC Radio 2, or CBC Music now, and when he was leaving, they needed to fill that spot pretty fast, and they needed somebody who understood the culture, understood the uh, way that they like to do things there, and the on-air style and everything, and so it happened really quick, um, and at that point, I was hosting the morning show at Indy 88, which I only did for like six or nine months. It was a very short time doing that. And so I was already on mornings. So that part wasn't going to be such a huge stretch for me. And yeah, I mean, it was weird to leave. It was weird. And it wasn't an easy adjustment. I will admit it was uh, at Indy 88. We had a lot of freedom, um, 
a lot of freedom to to be who you wanted to be on like social media, to say what you wanted to say on air, and it was a different kind of attitude. And you know, you're taking phone calls, and you're really local. When I started CBC Music, it's a national show. It airs live on the East Coast, and then it goes sweeps across the country. So you're not live for most of it for mm-hmm. most people. Um, and so you can't talk about things like what it's like in Toronto necessarily. You yeah. can't talk about the traffic or the weather or the news that is happening in a city um, unless it is like of national sort of interest. Um, and, you know, you're at the CBC. What you say because of the nature of the CBC, what you say or what you tweet reflects on the CBC, right? And people suddenly see you differently. You're seen as part of this entity and not just as yourself. And that was a really hard adjustment for me. And I, I like, I honestly, I don't know if I ever fully adjusted to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it got, I did, I think I did in some ways, but it never felt natural, I guess, mm-hmm. for me to, to be like, okay, I can't have an opinion on these things. It, it goes back to like when I was in grade 11 and I was just, a loudmouth, like, <laughs> doesn't always work, <laughs> depending on where you are. And I, not to say, like, the CBC was great to me, and they, they really supported me in a lot of ways um, that were really, really amazing, and I still love them. But, um, yeah, it, it was challenging. It was really challenging going from one extreme to the other. It certainly, I mean, to an outsider like me, it certainly seems like a huge change, a, a 180 shift to go from local to this national machine. If you are enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Raina Duras, please check out the more than 100 additional episodes available anytime. We've got TIFF leader Cameron Bailey, ongoing history of new music's Alan Cross, under the influences Terry O'Reilly, and Tech Talk's Mark Saltzman. So many great behind-the-scenes stories directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7-365 wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to ask you about your involvement in two kind of music industry honors, which are huge. And to be honest, I'm going to need you to educate me on them because I really don't understand the difference. But you were the host of the Polaris Music Prize Galas 2018 and 2019. You're also connected with the Juno Awards. How are you involved with these? And and maybe you can just uh, help me understand better the differences. So uh, the Juno Awards, are I like to compare them to like the Grammys. They are an industry like voted award it's uh mainstream um it's like you have a red carpet and you have the whole it's a tv it's a whole big thing the grammys is the closest thing i can think of um with the junos i was on the juno jury a couple of times i hosted the red carpet for the cbc at the junos which was a wild experience that i never thought i would ever do when they first asked me to host red carpet i was like i hate red carpets they're stupid um and then we were like this is the thing I love about the CBC. It's like, they're like, we're not going to do it like normal red carpet. You're going to ask real questions and you're going to have, you know, it's going to be short and quick, but you're going to have like thoughtful, real questions. It's not like, who are you wearing? Are you excited to be here? It's you do your research. You have a producer who works with you and you come up with actual questions. And that was such a cool experience. And the people that I got to talk to, like, I forget sometimes the people I got to talk to during those red carpets that like blew, like I was talking to David Foster or like someone like at the Canadian Country Music Awards, like I gave an award to Shania Twain, like things like that where you're like, oh, right, I did that. That's nuts. So that's what I did with the Junos. And then with Polaris, uh, Polaris is more like in in the UK, they have the Mercury Prize. Um, 
sort of like that. So it is a an award given out. The way that we described it was it's an award given out to the best album of the year without regard to sales, uh, popularity, streaming, anything like that, or publicity, anything like that. Um, it is purely about the art. It's voted on by a jury of critics and broadcasters and journalists. Um, it is not voted on by, like, the labels, uh, like the Junos might be. And it's quite prestigious. Only one wins, and they get a big, huge cash prize. And uh, there are 10 nominees in the shortlist. That it usually, you know, exposes a whole bunch of, of albums that may have not that may have totally flown out under the radar uh, or have been too weird to be on the radio or yeah. whatever, you know, you want to say. Um, so I was part of the jury for that. And I also hosted it for, I think, three years, which was a huge, huge honor. I loved doing it. It felt really, it was very like special and humbling to be a part of, of that and to like be able to watch these artists who suddenly had this stage to perform on and this recognition and even just get to be there when they got that was a, a, an amazing feeling. So, you know, players is still going. It's slightly, I think through the pandemic, it got a little bit different because they had to do it all from remotely. Uh, but I think they're kind of getting back on the, the way it used to be. So, yeah, so that's what the Polaris is. It's, it's sort of a, a different animal than the Junos. Well, great description because it sounds, again, just like your analogy or the situation with Indy 88 to CBC, Junos to the Polaris. Uh, yeah, totally there different. is a parallel. And again, you're rounding out all your skills. You're hosting. You're doing the red carpet. Putting this all together, October 2019, you become host of NPR's World Cafe. How did this come about? How did you end up going to Philadelphia, which, as you've educated me on, is, is the home base for WXPN? So World Cafe was hosted for like... 25 years by a man named David Dye, legendary host here in Philly on NPR. And when he left, another Canadian took over named Talia Schlanger. And you might hear her on Q on the CBC. Um, she and I, I, we actually went, she also went to RTA, which is, is interesting. We aren't the exact same age, but we were always just close enough that we like kind of knew each other uh, as acquaintances and, and sort of uh, she worked at the CBC around the same time I did at one point. And we had kept in touch. And I suppose, I, I guess what happened was she passed my tape on to the boss there. I don't know how many people um, tried out for the World Cafe job. When she asked if she could like share my audio with her boss, I was like, sure, but this is like, <laughs> this is never happening. Like, whatever. Yeah, it's good for me to get my name out there. You know, who knows what might happen one day. And then, uh, the program director got in touch with me and he was like, we'd love you to, you know, interview and submit your actual application. And again, I was still like, ah, like, this is a huge change. Like, I'm going to move from Toronto where I live my entire life from this job at the CBC to go live in Philly. Like, I probably won't even get this job. Who knows? But I was like, it's good for me to practice applying for things. So I just did it. Um, Very practical, Raina. Yeah. So I did it. And um it kept getting more and more serious, and I remember going out for dinner with my uh, my partner being like, so how would you feel about moving to Philadelphia? And he was like, uh, where is this even coming from? We visited Philadelphia a few months prior to this, actually, and like just on a vacation. And I remember walking around being like, I could live here. And then a couple months later, I'm like, so do you actually want to do that? Yeah, I, I, then they called me for an in-person interview, and that day was wild because 
I had to work the morning show. It was a Friday. I worked the morning show in the morning at the CBC. So I'm up at like four in the morning. I go into work. As soon as that's done, I go catch a plane to Philly, come down here and do the interview. Then I go out for dinner. At this point, I've been up for like 20 hours uh, out for dinner with the bosses. And uh, and then I stayed overnight and I found out a couple days that that they wanted me to be the host. And so it was like, okay, I have to, I really have to decide now. But the minute I walked into WXPN, the minute I walked into the building, I will say, like, I knew that I wanted to be in it. It, mm. it felt like a combination of the things I loved at the CBC and the things I loved at Indy 88, mm -hmm. which is a wild place to find yourself because those things are so vastly different. But it had that, like, independent local college radio feeling of Indy 88. And it also had, like, the support and the thoughtfulness and the... It's sort of like the maturity in a way of, of a CBC where like you're encouraged to be thoughtful and smart and, and to, to take your time uh, preparing your interviews, like all that stuff that the CBC is so great at too. So yeah, when I, um, I got that offer, it was like, okay, I guess we're moving now Yeah, <laughs> and getting a visa, which is a whole thing that I, you know, if you never have to get a visa, I would say maybe don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was really, it was a lot of learning experiences really quickly. It's amazing. And, you know, obviously the exposure now, huge for you, Raina. Uh, World Cafe recently celebrated its 30th anniversary. It's been dedicated to highlighting the world of folk music, including emerging talents, off the beaten path artists since its inception. So I guess you, did you feel any pressure you're carrying on the legacy of this very well-established program, World Cafe? Absolutely. Um, I was so lucky. And I, I feel like I, I owe Talia Schlanger like a giant gift basket because she <laughs> she was really the person who took over after David. And David is like this. He's a, he's a star here in Philly. And she took that show and she transitioned it into the show that I came into. Um, and she had to do the really hard work of of sort of being the new person that people were like, oh, who are you? You're not David Dye. Um, and she did a great job at it. And so when I came in, that had been, um, it was like a buffer a little bit. Uh, the blow was lessened when I when I walked in there. But I, I mean, I still was. And I still, you know, I hear a lot of it. I, there's no way people aren't going to compare you to how the show was for 25 mm -hmm. years, right? But David is, was always, he's still around. Like he still does a show at XPN on Sundays. And he's been such a resource and I tried not to listen to too much of what he did before I have now, but when I started, I tried not to because I didn't want to get stuck in this place where I was trying to replicate a show that already had existed because if I was coming in from a different city, I mean, I'm quite a bit younger than, than David was when he left, uh, probably closer to when he started. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was like, I want this to be mine and I want this to feel original and obviously a lot of the sort of tent poles of the show are still the same but the way i approach those conversations i want it to be genuine but of course it's like you you do feel like there's this legacy behind you and you want to maybe not so much that you have to impress people but you want to make people proud of that, sure. they, that, they, that you're there and that you want people to still feel like they can come to this show that they've listened to for a really really long time and with the artists you want to make sure that that relationship stays because there are artists who've been on the show many many times and you want to make sure that they still feel like they're coming to a place where they can have real genuine conversations you got to keep up the standards mm -hmm. 
I, I want to talk about some of your interviews because I mean you're you're in the big 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 leagues now, and <laughs> uh, one of your recent experiences with with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that was cool. Sorry, were you yeah, no, I, I just I, I have a lot of like I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but I got a hundred questions come up about behind the scenes. I am curious who sets that up. Are you told? Uh, are you given guidelines? I, I first of all, I want to compliment you because I find too many of these interviews with someone like him is just the host fawning over them. You did a great job. Like you talked to him just like he was any guy. I think he appreciated it because he spoke to you at that same. We're two peers talking but i noticed distinctly you stuck to his new album that he's obviously promoting do they tell you don't ask about born in the usa don't ask about asbury park i think that's a great question and thank you uh first of all because i that is one of the hardest things especially when you're a fan of somebody is to be like okay don't be too excited because <laughs> you know people it, it does put you on a different level and you want to feel like you're just talking one-on-one um but so an interview like that, now, that was a wild one because World Cafe has been trying to get Bruce Springsteen on for 30 years. Wow. Like, this was the first time he'd been on the show. And it was very exciting. And my uh, executive producer, Bruce Warren, uh, who's my boss, who's also named Bruce, which made the whole thing very confusing, <laughs> um, Bruce the boss, helped me a lot with preparing for that one because he is the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan on Earth. So we would sit down together and we would work on that. Now, Bruce is, uh, we have a bookings person and he, she works with Bruce a lot uh, and because they both have relationships with labels. Something like Bruce Springsteen, a huge name like that, that um, came through like my executive producer working with label relationships for a very long time, massaging things, making sure things are going to work, following up. It's like a lot of, you know, can we... I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'm not in those conversations, but from my understanding, it's not like, hey, we want Bruce. Okay, he's on. <laughs> it's like we were talking for – we're in talks, you know. Um, so him and I sat down and we prepared together, uh, put together a bunch of questions. You know, you listen to the record. You do your research. We kind of knew what the focus was going to be. We only had half an hour. We knew we had half an hour. So – in a situation like that, you're like, okay, how do we get the most out of this? And we knew what we wanted was to access Bruce Springsteen, the fan, right? Because this new album was about, like, it was him covering soul and R&B songs that he loves. So, you know, a lot of the time you get to hear people fan out over Bruce. We wanted to hear him fan out over other people. And we were able to use that framework to get into some of his history and some of his older stuff by saying, like, you know, when you went to watch you know, Sam and Dave down at the shore or uh, like what some of your songs are kind of like, you know, he was talking about how his songs are like soul songs. So like talking about his music through that lens. Um, yeah. You can't get to everything and it can be, you know, of course there's like a million more questions that mm -hmm. I would want to ask Bruce Springsteen, but you, you try to sort of focus on like, how can we get the most out of this while sort of staying in the wheelhouse that he wants to be in? I don't want to ask him like the millionth question about born more to run or, or whatever uh, you want to ask him something new. And I think Terry Gross, who does who hosts fresh air. I heard that one of the things that she always thinks before an interview is that she wants to learn something new about the person. And so I think about that a lot. We're going into something. So that's sort of why, you know, you focus on the new thing partly because yeah, that's what they're promoting and yeah. that's what they want to talk about. But 
you also because you want to find a new thing about them. You don't want to ask about like the same record they've been asked about a thousand times. Sure. And you're going to get a better interview because, as you know, they, they're tired of talking about the same thing. And you could see his enthusiasm come out because you, you did elicit from him his fanship of uh, the music that he had singing and promoting. When you talk about this 30 minutes, is there someone like off camera, like signaling you and do you do any chit chat or is he all business? Bruce puts on the headphones and 30 minutes, his headphones are off and he's gone. Well, Bruce is a unique one because like he does have like more people sort of around him than uh, some other artists might. Um, So we're told like 30 minutes, that's how much time you have. But like I will, when we get on first, we'll like make sure he had an engineer who's making sure all his sound sounded good. So we didn't have to do that with him on Zoom. I usually tell people, you know, like we're not live. So you can start again if you mess up because we can make sure you sound okay. Um, If I get something factually incorrect, please correct me. Um, And if I ask you something that you really don't want to talk about or something that makes you uncomfortable, just let me know and we'll move on. It's not a gotcha interview. This is supposed to be fun. We're talking about the music, you know, that sort of thing. So I'll give them that and then we just go. But like, yeah, I mean, some artists will have for an hour. Some artists uh, have a much more relaxed schedule. There won't be a PR person who's like orchestrating everything. And it can take a while. Like they go and find their headphones, make sure the microphone (laughs) works, like all the stuff that you have to do now with like Zoom and and all these programs. Um, And it's a little bit more casual. So I've had I've had interviews go on for like an hour and a half, which is a nightmare for my editor, but is fun for me. (laughs) Yeah, you really get the conversation going. Yeah. William Shatner is turning 92 in March. Is he as impressive as he sounds? Yes. I can't believe, because when I interviewed him, I guess he was 90. A young, <laughs> you got him when he was young. 90. Um, <laughs> he was, it's incredible. Like, I can't believe that man is 90 years old. He, he was so much fun to talk to, so thoughtful. There were moments when he was talking about going to space where, like, I was getting emotional just listening to him because he really, I don't know. It's like he's one of those people who is still so interested in learning new things and still wants to share that excitement with people. I adored talking to William Shatner. He was he was a lovely, lovely person. One of your favorite musicians was, uh, you got to interview during lockdown, Neil Young. Oh my God. What yeah. was the unique uh, occurrence that occurred during this interview? Well, <laughs> I mean, that was a great, that was a, an hour and a half, scheduled for an hour and a half. I was, I was so excited, but I was so nervous. I love Neil Young. See Neil Young pop up on your like computer screen being like, <laughs> yeah. hi, Raina, how's it going? And you're like, oh my God. Uh, we went through his new album. But this was like one of my favorite things about being on Zoom during the pandemic, because there were silver linings to it, is that you see a much more unfiltered version of a person than when they're in your studio with their entourage, you know, hurrying off to sound check or whatever they have to do. This is just him and me on a computer. And he got phone calls. He got a phone call from his kid. Well, first he got a real phone call. And then he got like a FaceTime call. And he like li- literally is looking into the screen, the same camera he's looking at me through. And he's like, hey, buddy. Yeah, I know. I'll be done in about 10 minutes. Yep. I'll give you a call. Yep. I love you. Bye. And he's like looking right. And it's like, this is the most human vulnerable thing I can imagine is like a man just talking to his son through like I don't know and I like I'm seeing it in real time this person who is like a hero to me and I that was that's a real like one 
once in a, I guess once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Well, see, I see that as rude taking calls during a call <laughs> with you. But you, like you're saying, you saw he's he's just like you and I. I know. I mean, you know, yeah, you're right. I guess it is rude, but also it's Neil Young. I'm willing to make an exception. <laughs> you forgave him. Now, Raina, the other names that caught my eye were Duran uh, Duran. Was that one of yours? That was actually Kaleo, who was okay. our contributing host. So we split interviews um, sometimes. And he, when he's like, loves a band, I'm like, even if I love it too, I'm like, you should go for it. This is going to make you so happy. We decide, we, it's pretty diplomatic, like when we, when we choose who gets which ones. That, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Uh, Nickelback, Chad and Ryan from Nickelback. Yeah. Uh, you probably know this, Raina, but Alan Cross says he will fight you if you don't like Nickelback. Uh, where do you stand on the whole Nickelback as national treasure versus national embarrassment? You know, I used to be, I think, back when it was like really the thing to like hate Nickelback. It was like, yeah, Nickelback sucks. But like, I remember when How You Remind Me came out. And I was like, this song is really good. <laughs> and it is, I still like that song. And, you know, it, it was very uh, cool to hate Nickelback for a long time. It feels a bit passe to hate Nickelback now, in my opinion. <laughs> but also, they are so massively, massively successful all around the world. And I told this to them when I was in, in our interview. I was like, you know, I was at the Louvre. And I went out to a bistro nearby to, like, have a cup of coffee and I was sitting down, and what is playing out of the speakers is How You Remind Me by Nickelback in Paris, and like mm-hmm. beside the Louvre. And it's like, this you can't escape Nickelback. They're everywhere. <laughs> and I think um, that whether you like their music or not, as far as them being a national treasure, like that's a pretty incredible thing. And when I was, especially when I was preparing for that interview, uh, listening through a lot of their music, a lot of it is now nostalgic for me. I hear it and I'm like, oh, I love this now because I, I remember it. Um, you know, I know I, I told them this too. Like, I know all the words to Rockstar, and that song is fun. <laughs> and I think, like, the time for hating Nickelback is over. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Just have a good time. They're having a good time doing what they're doing. You should have a good time enjoying what they're doing. You don't have to say it's the greatest band of all time. You don't have to say it's your favorite band of all time. But uh, you know what? Why not just let yourself have a good time? <laughs> I'm with you. You can't escape Nickelback. We're all on Team Nickelback. You also had an interesting uh, session with Grammy winner John Baptiste. And oh, yeah. I believe at the time he was actually at his own piano, the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City. He's, of course, part of the Stephen Colbert show. What was that like? He was so, so nice. So every now and then you'll have an uh, interview, and this is especially in a Zoom one now because people have like their instruments around where people will, like, just break into playing something. Actually, Chad Kruger did that. He uh, took out his guitar and sang part of How You Remind Me, which was so surreal when you're sitting talking to somebody and then they start singing that song, and then the voice is the voice from the song, and it's like, oh, right, I'm really realizing now that that's you. Um, But John Batiste sitting at his piano, and he would just, like, play while we were talking. Like, it's like he can't not play. Yeah. And then sometimes he would like just start singing and it was magical feeling. Like when you're talking to somebody like that, where you're like, you are fully just in this zone all the time. Um, while also being a charming, lovely person who was yeah. a good interview. Oh yeah. He was great. I left that interview feeling so happy 
which I think, you know, I feel like everybody who talks to that guy is probably leaves feeling very happy, but it was a pretty beautiful thing to see. When another guy who comes across the same way, his his same position with his competitor show on the Jimmy Fallon show is Questlove. Uh, he's a, a Philly native son, if I'm not mistaken. He is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had him on to talk about the Summer of Soul soundtrack and uh, the film that he, they won the Oscar for, for Best Documentary, I think, right? After... Not too long after that interview aired, um, he was he was lovely. I mean, I, again, like somebody who was talking, he was a great one because he was talking about all of these performances that he had gotten to see, like through the Summer of Soul documentary and, and all this music. It's, sometimes it's really cool talking about other people's art mm-hmm. with artists because, again, like the Bruce Springsteen thing, it's like they get to be a fan and you can learn so much about somebody through them talking about other people's music. Sure. Um, that was a, a really, and I feel like I got a huge history lesson um, talking to Questlove too, because the guy's just so smart. Well, the, just like you say, that the passion that these stars have for other people, uh, the enthusiasm really comes across. I got a bunch of loose ends here for you, Reina. Scrapple, sure. have you tried <laughs> and enjoyed, and can you explain what is Scrapple? Okay, I honestly, I don't think I've had Scrapple. I feel like the name has put me off uh, a little. I honestly don't even really know what it is. I think, isn't it like pork parts? I'm going to give you Scraps? the definition that I was given. So it, this is this is Pennsylvania Dutch uh, treat. It's basically fried leftovers. But the place to go is the Dutch eating place in the Reading Terminal Market. That's where the standard for classic Scrapple but oh, okay. You, you will report back because I'm sure it's something you're going to end up doing as as uh, you get out and about more with the weather getting better. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I will finally take the plunge and eat some scrapple. Now, Philadelphia is in the Northeast. It's certainly not Greenville, Alabama, and the Southeast. But once fun- someone finds out, Raina, you're Canadian, how often do you get asked, A, what hockey team do you play for? And B, <laughs> if you know Bob from Canada. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, well... First of all, the hockey thing. Well, the hockey thing is so interesting down here because I think there's a few Canadian things that I didn't realize I was attached to until I left, and like the Leafs is one of them. Where I was like, oh, I miss, I miss having hockey on like all the time. I miss how like everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, like things that I didn't even think I liked that much when I lived there. Like I'm like, I miss Tim Hortons coffee. Yeah. But it's like, do I really, or do I just miss like that it exists? I don't know. Uh, and, and then the thing where everybody knows each other, I do get that now and then. So I'm, I'm good friends with, uh, and this sounds name droppy, but it it literally happened last week. I'm good friends with um, Annie Murphy, who's on Schitt's Creek. And my uh, gym instructor follows my Instagram. And he found out that I'm friends with Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. And he was like, oh, my God, this is further like proof for my theory that all Canadians know each other. And like there is that. Uh, idea that like everyone does and often I'll have guests on the show from Canada bands that um, we've had on where uh, it's like oh great to see you have like I know you from interviewing at Indie 88 or interviewing at CBC or whatever it is because it is sort of it is a relatively small world when you compare it like we've got what around 35 million people in Canada and 350 million people in Mm -hmm. America so it just by necessity ends up being kind of everyone knows everyone. And have your American colleagues tried to clean up your abouts and outs and oh all God. that stuff? You know what? They're very kind about it. Although I have my line producer, the person who uh, I record with 
uh, for the show, he will every now and then be like, um, what did you just say? So like pasta, pasta, that one's a big one. In fact, uh, when I was interviewing Barbara Streisand, she stopped me in the first like three seconds of our interview. and was like, wait a second, say that word again. And I said something again. She was like, are you Canadian? And I was like, yes. She's like, I was just in Italy with my Canadian friends and we were laughing at how they say, say the word the for the, uh, the, like she made me say the word pasta or pasta. She's like, see, that's what I thought. And now say the kind of wine that you drink with. I was like, Chianti. And she's like, it's Chianti. <laughs> she's like just ripping me for my Canadian accent. It was very funny. So I do get it now and then. Usually people just think it's cute. Yes. Just uh, <laughs> <is> fine. <laughs> now your social media handle, I like it. Ra, ra, Reina. Who gets credit for that piece of uh, creativity? That's all me. Uh, yeah. That was 2009, which is disturbing to think about. That's how long I've been uh, wasting my life on Twitter. Um, and I don't even remember at this point why I gave myself that name, but it's stuck and I've just used it for everything. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like a cheer. Yeah. Reina. It gets you going. <laughs> I want to know if you mingle with other NPR personalities. Uh, Guy Raz has the great entrepreneurial podcast that I follow. And of course, Rick Steves can't stop watching his travel show. Um, I guess because you're in different stations, as you've educated me on, you have no connection with any of these people, but maybe you do. <laughs> so you're, you're right that especially because of the pandemic, since March 2020, it's been really uh, kind of slow to come back with like networking and stuff like that. So I haven't had a ton of, you know, hangs with other NPR people. However, I did have Rick Steves on the show and I figured out an angle because I'm such a Rick Steves fan. I was like, I need to find a way to get Rick Steves on my show. So I read his book and he had like, he would talk about music in it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. This is our angle. We'll just talk about different music in Europe that he can tell us about. And it was so much fun. It was right in the middle of, like, the lockdown. So it was like, we're going to take a trip around the world with Rick Steves on the show. Um, so that was that was so cool. I love him. Well, he's so uh, interesting in that, first of all, he's a serious business person and an entrepreneur. Oh, he, yeah. He takes that brand seriously. And yet he's also a huge pro-marijuana guy. Yes. Which I guess he's kept away from everybody, but he's not shy about talking about. It. I guess he treats his his uh, business life different from his personal life, as he should be able to. But that was a little uh, surprising as well. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he's on the board for like uh, that organization, Normal N O R M L, which is like a organization for the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. And he's a big proponent of it, um, which I think just adds to his charm. Absolutely. <laughs> Raina, you've been great with your time. As we close up, I want to ask, what is next for World Cafe? What is next for Raina Duras? Ooh, exciting. Um, well, World Cafe, I mean, we are really, now that we've come back from the pandemic, you know, we made this huge shift to working remotely, and then we made this huge shift to coming back. Um, and now, finally, after a, sort of a year of being back in person, making the show again, we're looking at like, okay, how are these things working? What are we doing? How can we, like, take that show to the next level? We want to, like, do more online stuff. Uh, we've got some podcast ideas that we're working on. So there's, like, lots of little things, but we're, we're really kind of just taking stock of, of everything and catching our breath and, and, you know, obviously pushing the show. Uh, I have an interview with somebody I've wanted to interview my entire life. Maybe the only person I've ever been starstruck by, completely speechless by, when I met him probably 15 years ago 
when he was a guest host on MTV Canada. I can tell you who it is. You're the only person I've really told about Breaking this. Breaking news, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> All listeners of Toronto Legends, we're going to hear. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly when this interview will air, but we're recording it next Friday, and I am so excited. Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> so, so that's what's next for me. That is the exciting thing for me right now. That's all I'm thinking about. Um, that is excellent. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just glad that I finally found a job where I can get paid to listen to Weird Al. <laughs> You've hit the ultimate. And yeah, and I mean, for me on a personal level, uh, I'm working on getting my green card, which yes. is very exciting. Um, and, you know, I've been doing one thing that I've really enjoyed that is not World Cafe related is I've been doing some like voice acting on scripted podcasts, which I love doing. Mm. Uh, it kind of ties back to when I was a kid and I wanted to be an actor and something that I never really fully let go of. Um, and so I've been getting to do that Um this is a podcast called Pretty Dim, and it's a or Pretty Dim Wonder is what the full name is, and it's a it's a scripted sci-fi comedy podcast. Um, and then I've done a few appearances on the podcast E One, which is episode one, and I love doing it. it they're so funny, and it's so much fun. Uh, so that's something I want to I want to keep on doing. I'm try to manifest more of that in my life. Fabulous. Um, yeah. So Always that's, expanding that's the next. toolbox. That's great. Yeah. So you mentioned it a little before, but why don't you summarize for us? Where can we best follow you and World Cafe on uh, social media or wherever else we should go to see you? Sure. So let's do World Cafe first. It's at World Cafe, W-R-L-D-C-A-F-E. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, hopefully soon on TikTok, uh, all over the place. And worldcafe.org is the website where you can find all of our archives. We also have a podcast uh, where you can catch up with interviews and all that stuff. Um, for me, it's at raw, raw, Raina, and that's spelled R-A-H-R-A-H-R-A-I-N-A. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I have quit Facebook and freed myself from it. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I am also on TikTok, but I never post, but I'm going to try. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, for those podcasts, uh, that was at Pretty Dim Wonder uh, is the name of that one. I guess those are my things to plug. Excellent. Well, it's, you got a full plate in 2023, so... It was great getting to know you, Raina. Thanks for sharing your time and all these ex excellent experiences. And I hope the uh, next year ahead is the best yet. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of Toronto Legends. And on behalf of Raina Duras, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four Kids Flashback.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.